Welcome to episode 124 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hadfield, and today we get the chance to catch up with a couple of previous guests of Running Matters in Lou Clifton and Gerald McPherson. I saw both the guys after their respective wins in the Lonely Mountain Ultra up in Orange a couple of weeks ago. It was great to catch up and uh, there's plenty to chat about since their, their previous podcast. Lou was back in episode 29 and Gerald was episode 91. So if you want to go back and listen to a little bit of history for these two guys, by all means, check out the back catalogue. Uh, we also catch up with Sean at the Godfather Tyndale for a review of the Salomon Sense Ride 5, which has been a tremendous training shoe for myself leading into their trail ultra stuff. Um, taking the reins for the interview with Gerald later on in the show is Scott Theon Hazelton, race director of the Lonely Mountain Ultra. So some great insights into uh, the race for Gerald. We obviously have plenty to discuss in terms of their racing history over the past few years, and, and they've both done incredible things since we last spoke to them. So plenty of great takeaways there. Uh, once again, thank you to Renala for their ongoing support of the podcast. And without further ado, we'll get Lou on the line. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the show, Lou Clifton. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for Thank asking you. me on again. Yeah, no, great, great to have you. I think uh, last time we had you on the show was certainly pre-COVID, so uh, there's there's probably a little bit of ground to cover between then and now. Oh yeah, <laughs> That's and, and, a long and the, time. it was seems like uh, seems like a long time ago, but also kind of like yesterday. Yeah, um, for sure. Congratulations on uh, the Lonely Mountain Ultra 50 miler. Saw you up in Orange the other week. Um, yeah, impressive performance. How, how did you find the race? Yeah, it was a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be because I did the 50K last year um, and I, I I sort of had in my head that the 30K loop would be um, a little bit easier. So we did the 50K loop and then the 30K loop. Um, but the 30k loop was actually pretty gnarly and they'd made the 50k harder. So um I got a little bit of a um a little bit of a slap there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's such a great event. I, I really like sort of small, small local events. So yeah, it was really good, good atmosphere. And yeah, I didn't hesitate to go back after doing it last year. So yeah, it was really great. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. I, I reckon I'll I'll be back up there next year as well. I did did enjoy the vibe up in Orange. Um, it's actually my first little trip up there, so there's plenty to do and see. Plenty of plenty of pubs, plenty of wineries. Yeah, it's um. I really like the sort of central west. You know, west west like Bathurst, Mudgee, and you know, out to Orange. It's yeah, it's really nice. And, and you sort of warmed up for the, the Lonely Mountain with a, a racing bathurst. I saw the, the Panorama Punish. That was a bit of a departure from normality for you. Yeah, that was actually my recovery run the next week. So, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that, that was after Lonely Mountain. Yeah, was yeah, oh, that was that was after. Yeah, I know it's been hard to keep up this uh, this year. Um, yeah, that I, I had a... I've known about it for a while, but I hadn't done it. And um, yeah, some some friends were going, and so I thought, well, you know, it's so close to it's only an hour from where I live, um, and it's you know six point two or six point four k's around the Panorama racetrack, so a hot lap they call it. 
what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and look, how, how does the body go over the hot lap these days with all the, the longer stuff that you're doing? Um, look, it, it, it went better than I thought, actually. I, I kind of thought at the end of it, maybe I should retire from trail running and just run on, like, tarmac. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you at all. No, I know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was it was good. It went it went really well, and um, yeah, it was. I was actually really stoked because I won the race, which I didn't expect to. But um, it was just so full of these um, cross country youngster whippersnappers, and um, yeah, it was just it'll probably never happen again. But it was just amazing to um, yeah finish in front of them. I just thought, how did that happen? So um yeah and the the girl that came second um Renee Donji so like full-on you know race genetics in her family and so I was talking to her about her uncle and her grandfather (laughs) who um who lives in Mount Victoria Wayne and um yeah yeah, and then I was yeah totally the grandma on the podium but yeah I totally loved it It was awesome (laughs) (laughs) and do you do you draw a fair bit of motivation from I guess whipping those young whippersnappers oh it's just nice to I don't know I think um you know you were mentioning COVID before and I think like pre-COVID like 2019 I had a really um strong year and um and then I just yeah kind of felt like I'd lost these years of running in COVID and I've come out the other side in a new age group and that sort of took a bit of mentally adjusting to it so I kind of decided I just had to adjust my mindset to um, competing in my age group and not trying to you know race 20 and 30 year olds Um, but then yeah then I sort of raced some 15 and 18 year olds so so yeah it was it was a nice little confidence booster (laughs) yeah it was fun and it was just heaps of fun yeah that's outstanding. Uh, it, it, it looks like you've sort of raced just about every second weekend during 2023. Was that sort of a uh, conscious decision or do you just get a bit of FOMO and say yes a lot? Oh, I actually had a bit of a plan. I mean, I sort of have a plan most years, but I, I had a bit of a different plan this year. Um, so I had a lot of knee knee pain and um, some, some issues last year, which I will probably go into. And um, I sort of ended the year thinking I didn't want to pay to do an overseas trip or a big kind of overseas A race whilst I was um, still struggling with knee pain. Um, it was pretty bad during UTMB. I'm kind of surprised I finished it. And then I went to Thailand for the World Trail Champs. And, um, yeah, and my like my performance was okay, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel very happy with my performance not necessarily from a time or place perspective but just I just felt like I couldn't run how I wanted to because I had just so much knee pain um, on the downhills so I just decided at the beginning of this year I'm going to get my knee sorted out Um, I'm not going to race or go overseas to race until I've kind of got that got that sorted Um, so yeah and then I just I just planned all these um, races in Australia. So that was my goal for this year, just to race here. Um, But then, yeah, I got the CCC entry through UTA. So, yeah, I made an exception (laughs) um, for that one. (laughs) I'm very good. I I mean, I guess I'll I'll pull you up and say that I did see you over in Tarawera in February. So, yeah. yeah. Does that count as part of Australia? But it's quite 
yeah true yeah yeah well spotted I kind of just figured it was all in the you know place near enough but um yeah I already had I, I already had that entry actually before I made that decision but um I was supposed to do the 100k and I switched to the 50 so yeah okay yeah I was supposed to do the 100k but I switched to the like 63 and a half k version where I pulled out of the aid station so <laughs> oh, I was gonna say was that the 50 because I got like 55k in that but anyway <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. Mine, mine was much less uh, impressive than that. That's for sure. Oh, uh, I, I, I missed that one. So, tell me, um, what was the issue with the knee, and, and how did you sort of remedy that earlier in the year, anyway? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've got worn cartilage, um, pretty worn cartilage behind my kneecap, but I've had that for a long time. It's shown up in in an MRI a few years ago when I had a um, meniscus tear. So I've I kind of been in denial that that's the issue. Um, but I'd had a very kind of weird pain in my heel for about eighteen months that had got progressively worse, and it was mostly at night. So because it hadn't really directly affected my running, I hadn't kind of well, I mean, I tried to sort of sort it out at the beginning of 2022, but then went overseas. So when I got back, I was kind of like, oh, is it really worth going back to see a sports doctor? Nothing's really changed. I've been doing this physio the whole time I've been overseas. Um, but anyway, long story short, I did. I got a scan on my leg and I had a, a schwannoma, which is a, a tumour in my tibial nerve. Um, and so because of that, pressing on my nerve I've been getting like these shooting nerve pains in my foot it through the night it was pretty bad um affecting my sleep and stuff um but also my right calf had atrophied a fair bit mm-hmm. um I'm just really lucky that they even though it took a while but I was overseas for a bit just lucky that they found it because yeah with nerve stuff like that you know they were looking at my back or my hips I kind of had MRIs everywhere <laughs> And then, yeah, it was just an ultrasound on my lower calf and there was quite a big, big um, uh, benign growth there. So I had uh, surgery on that in November um, and then just I've just been smashing the gym, basically. I I found this amazing physio. I'll give him a bit of a shout out, Christian, Dr. Christian Barton, who's in Melbourne and he specialises in chronic knee injuries and works with a lot of runners. And, yeah, I've just basically been doing the rehab and um, it's not a hundred percent gone, um, but it's 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 heaps better. So, yeah. So that was kind of my goal for the year. Oh, fantastic! And and so, uh, have you been able to remedy the calf atrophy? Are you back to sort of fairly symmetrical these days? Uh not exactly. But it's kind of hard to know if they were some, my calves were symmetrical before. Like I've tried to find some running photos and look, but you know they're never like full on, and then they're front on or totally behind um and I run on my toe a little bit more on my left side because I've had an ankle injury from from climbing so my um flexibility in my left foot's a bit different so um yeah not not exactly but it's definitely um it's definitely better than it was um and it's just been my calf my also my quad on my right leg wasn't really firing very well either and then the hamstring was the whole leg was just weak so yeah I mean I think it's hard to um get a weak side exactly the same as a strong side um 
yeah so my physio Christian said if you want to do that you pretty much have to stop running and just focus on that which kind of makes sense because you're probably always favoring a strong strong leg um so that's not really going to happen and it's it's kind of not super important as long as it's strong enough so yeah that's great and look in terms of um I guess your ability to to run and your performance now do you, do you feel like you're in a better place than you were a couple of years back regarding that strength and stability what have you I think I'm in a much better place um than I was last year and if I hadn't um if we hadn't have found the problem and um so I mean even if I'd done the strength work but we hadn't that tumor hadn't been found then it wouldn't it wouldn't have really done anything so um I've been doing like you know (laughs) a shitload of calf raises all of last year with like zero impact so um yeah I think I think I'd be in a pretty bad place now actually if that hadn't have been been found yeah that's that's great And, and and probably the kind of thing that wouldn't be found unless you were, you know, such a, um, I guess, high, high level sort of achiever in terms of sport. You you probably wouldn't have looked for those answers. Possibly, but I mean, the the pain, yeah, the night pain was was pretty was getting pretty out of hand. Like, um, it wasn't every night, but a lot of nights I just had, you know, like when you hit your funny bone, it was kind of constant that sort of sensation through my heel. And so every time I'd fall asleep and that happened, I'd wake up. And so I was taking some pain medication for that. And, you know, it's not kind of a long-term solution. So, yeah, I'm I'm just, yeah, just really relieved to have that pretty sorted. And the other really good thing about strength work is um, I haven't had any other injuries. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's I've kind of taken a little bit for granted, but I think if I'd continued to run on that bad leg, um, everything else would have just started to break down as well. So, um, but even even so, you know, other things haven't haven't flared up this year. Touch words. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, pretty happy about all of that. Oh, that's great! And look, you've always been smashing out, you know, your recent races and really quite dominating the you know that over fifties age group. Is is there anything about your training that's had to change as you've gotten a bit older? Um, and and what about your training routine seems to set you apart from from other runners? Do you think? Oh, I, I don't know because I don't know what what other runners do. But I mean, I guess um, so. My coach Steffi um, Jimenez is is um, in Italy. She's um, she was a mountain runner with um, Salomon um, Italy. Um, we're similar age. Um, and I mean, her training is very, you know, kind of hill mountain sort of oriented. And, you know, I live in a really hilly place. So um, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I haven't really done so much sort of flat sort of track kind of speed work um, because it's not often in my program. Um, but I, 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 I definitely like to do a little bit more. I think it's a, a little um a little bit lacking um I mean I do do that kind of work but it, quite often it will be uphill um so not a lot of flat fast sessions but I think that um that's quite good for the body as well especially when you're a bit older um I did um do a few back-to-back park runs in a 1k session um a few weeks ago and my hammies were like yeah I thought I'd injured my hamstring so yeah <laughs> Um, have to be pretty careful, I think, doing a lot of those types of sessions. 
Yeah, for sure. And especially if you haven't been used to that kind of thing, yeah. it's a completely different load. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I guess speaking of that load, I, I know quite a number of people were very sore after the, the Lonely Mountain Ultra because of the fast downhill running. How, how, how does your body um, cope with that, that part of the race? Uh, yeah, like that down the 10k downhill from Canopolis to the to the finish. Except we didn't finish. We go went back out to get back up the hill. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I I think it was pretty good actually. I don't remember. I remember having pretty bad DOMS after the 50 because I think I just ran it harder. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was too bad because I was able to do the Panorama Punish the next Sunday. So um. I guess I think, um, you know, I guess I get quite a lot of good condi- quad conditioning in my legs from all the hills because, you know, I have to go down down as well as up. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't answer your question about doing anything differently, um, um, you know, having got older. I I don't think that anything's really changed substantially in, in my training. Um I guess I'm quite aware, you know, all of the, you know, kind of stuff about getting enough enough protein and um, um I, I think I'm a lot more aware about my nutrition, but I think that that's just just kind of a, a learning, you know, learning that I've had through um through running and through coaching as well and you know, you know reading a lot, listening to a lot of podcasts and things like that. So, yeah, definitely I try to get plenty of protein. Um and um but yeah training wise it's all it's all pretty much the same as it's been since i started with steffi in 20 and this 2017 mm-hmm. yeah fantastic and look you've been coaching yourself for some time now is there anything that you've sort of picked up in terms of instructing your athletes that's been positive for your own performance um yeah i'm sure there is um I mean, I guess I think I do a lot of, um, I mean, I, I've done the Athletics Australia Level 3 coaching, so I've done all the formal coaching, but I just do so much of my own self-learning as well, um, constantly listening. I'm a bit I'm a bit nerdy, even though I'm not a, I don't have a science background, so I just really love listening to, um, yeah, experts talking about nutrition, mental training. I'm really interested in, um, and you know, trying to help my athletes with with mindset and their and their diet. But obviously, um, referring them to a professional if they need professional assistance. Um, I think, um, yeah, I guess I guess something that really shows through is when someone is really super consistent and like really follows follows a program. Um, you know, you just see the results. So um, as much as, as you know, or, you know, people might say that to you, that that's what you need to do. And I'm pretty good myself. But, you know, when you actually see a training program that you've written for someone and that you've tailored and, you know, got them to a race um, and seen their improvement, then, yeah, I guess it, it really reinforces what what works. And, and the coach isn't writing it; just fun, you know. They're they're assuming that it's going to work for you, so you just got to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, very good. So I, I saw earlier in the year a bit of a, um, I guess, a, a blip compared to some of your other races, a, a 24-hour track race down in Canberra. Yeah. What was, um, what was the motivation to uh, go run around in circles in minus six degrees? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, good question. Um, it was one of those COVID decisions, which just seems quite, yeah, quite um a million miles away now um but yeah during covid you know lots of people were doing those sort of track things or you know um running around their living room or fkts or whatever and um so i entered a 24-hour track um and then yeah there were a couple of things that happened i can't quite remember the order um i think the one that i entered i was going to do a six-hour track as a training run and i had really bad hamstring tendinopathy so i pulled out of that and I pulled out of the 24 hour and then I think the next year it was cancelled because of COVID um and um Matthew the organizer every year will send me are you doing it this year and um you know as something has happened the last couple of years and then this year I was like I actually could do it I've got nothing booked in and he's so kind he keeps just like inviting me again and so I thought I'll just do it so I did. <laughs> yeah, it was quite an experience. <laughs> I can well imagine. And apart from having an extremely rubber arm, how did the race go? Um, yeah, the, ra- look, the race went really well. It was really interesting. It was sort of going, I felt like I just was a total, well, I was like a complete novice, like um, completely didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have a strategy um and then this the strategy that was recommended to me by all the people that I I hassled thank you Grant and thank you um everybody else Jenny and a few other people that I hassled um yeah I didn't listen to any of their advice so they were all like yeah you need to walk run and I just thought no I'm not doing that so I'm just going to run until I can't run anymore and then I'll just walk when I'm eating because I'm going to go past my crew every 400. Every time I get something to eat, I'll walk and that will be my walking. So, um, yeah, it sort of went pretty well until it wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was it was good. I, I had um, I had some goals in mind. I was looking at the women's, the Australian women's 50 records, mm-hmm. and I had a few of those. I, I didn't get some of the... Um, I didn't get the shorter ones because I just couldn't run that fast early in a 24-hour track, but I got the 200-kilometre one and a 24-hour track one, and I did a pretty good distance. So came second in the race. Um, I think there was like four or five of us, so there weren't many of us in it. But, yeah, I was pretty pretty stoked with that. Um, but, yeah, not not overly keen to kind of jump into it again. Um, I could have applied for the 24-hour track team. They're competing in December. Um, But I was already committed to Grand Pune Peaks Trail. So if I hadn't been committed to that, I probably would have gone. I think it will be an amazing team and experience. But I was committed and I'm like, "Mm, running around a track in Taipei for 24 hours or running on the Grand Pune Peaks Trail. I know which one I'm probably going to be better at, but it's not the one I want to (laughs) do. So... (laughs) probably uh, going to be better on the flat than the technical but it's not the one I want to do so I'm sure you'll be just okay at the technical as well <laughs> you should, should be okay with that decision 
that's very good. And, and in, in terms of, I guess, representing Australia, you got that opportunity last November. Uh, how how yeah. did you enjoy uh, uh, running as a team, I suppose, as opposed to a um, an individual? Yeah, oh, look, it's always great to to run as a team. And well, when I say it's always great, I've done it twice. Like, it's amazing to be able to represent Australia. And I, I don't know if it will happen again. Um, but it was quite it was quite close to UTMB and I don't think, um, yeah, mentally and physically I probably wasn't in the best form. Um, yeah. And then I had the knee sort of issue as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I would have had a better experience. Um, yeah. Had I not sort of had those issues, but it was amazing to be amazing team. Um, you know, lovely um lovely team in the women's long 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 and in the short as well so mm. yeah just um always an honor to to be able to do that and and hang out with the cool kids <laughs> and just sort of like be in awe at these like amazing you know elite runners <laughs> like probably oh, elite runners <laughs> that's amazing well you know, now you know how we feel watching you run loose so there you oh, go oh no you're too kind <laughs> <laughs> and look it, Chiang Mai looked like some very challenging conditions for that particular race um I noticed you did a, a chunk of heat training leading into it can you tell us what that kind of looks like yeah, and I've actually been doing a lot leading into Grampians as well in case it's super hot. Um, so I I basically either run and go to the sauna or um I ride on the on the bike in um heat in, in the bathroom with the heaters on and sort of get it like super hot. Um I've actually got one of those core temperature devices. I don't know if you've seeing those like I invested in one of those because I'm a bit obsessed about heat training um I think there are a few yeah the, the jury might be a little bit out about how accurate they are but a lot of triathletes seem to be using them um and so it kind of gives you an accurate measure well hopefully an accurate measure of where your core temperature is at so that once mm -hmm. you get it to where it needs to be then you just keep it there for as long as possible yeah. um yeah generally they from what I've read, it's around kind of around 50 minutes. Um, but I've done a lot of um, runs as well where I've just worn some extra layers and like, yeah, your temperature gets up pretty high pretty quickly. And then I just kind of dial back the pace and just keep going a bit longer or, yeah, go to the sauna. or um, And, yeah, I've had quite a long heat training lead in this time. So I've been going for about a month with, um, yeah, as many sessions as I can and can fit in a week um whilst before thailand i think i did a couple of weeks or something like that and i did a little bit before costa cozy as well but i i'm a bit better educated about how to do it now so yeah it's interesting stuff yeah no, I, have, I you done, have you done any not 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 enough that's for yeah. sure mm -hmm. um and not a concerted sort of block uh, enough yeah. but, but i'm certainly interested in yeah, doing it in the future for, for a couple of races so um I, I guess i was interested in your overall load when you are doing your heat training how, how do you feel in terms of you know, a month into it now uh, are you you pushing the boundary of your your body's capability yeah look i'm feeling pretty tired and i think from the weeks where i have done a, quite a bit of heat training you definitely feel it so i don't um like i if I did a harder session, then I, I might might go to the sauna straight afterwards, but I like wouldn't sauna and then run later. 
So mm-hmm. the sauna is always after running. Um, and what else? I, I've kind of, I haven't been on the bike so much because I found that a little bit harder to get hot enough. I think maybe I'm just not strong enough cyclist. I have tried going for a run and then getting on the bike, but to be honest, it's just far more enjoyable going for a run and then going for the sauna and then you get the recovery, um, recovery kind of um, parts of the sauna as well. Um, one of the saunas I go to has an ice bath, so I do like put my legs in that. So I'm like trying to get my legs cold and keep my core hot and have the best of both worlds. Um, but yeah, it can it can be quite quite tiring. I think there's a bit of a trick to um, yeah not letting it impact your harder sessions. Balance there. Yeah, sounds sounds like you've uh, you've certainly researched. I've got like quite a lot of notes. I can, I can, I've gone through all of the, all of the podcasts and the research and I've put a document together so I can send it to you, save you doing it if you like. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll pick your brain off here. We might lose a couple of people on that nerdiness. (laughs) Yeah. I meant off this. Yeah. Out of this. Yeah. (laughs) And look, you had a a really successful uh, trip over to Europe as you were discussing for the CCC. It looked like you ran a, uh, an, an impressive race, maybe not quite the time you wanted, but I think more things went well than didn't by the looks. Yeah, it's a funny one, actually, because I do feel quite happy about that race, even though it was slower than I would have liked to have done. And I I was hoping I'd do between kind of 14 and 15 hours and I was 15 and a half. But um, yeah, up until 75k, um, I felt really good. Like I I can't remember feeling that good in a race for quite a long time. Um, and then, and then I didn't feel good. And then, and then, um, and then I got sick. So the last kind of 25 K was pretty slow. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I just had a really fun time actually. Um, my best friend from the UK who I've known since I was 23 came out to crew cause I was there on my own. That was a bit last minute. So I just had a fantastic time with her there. And, you know, there were loads of Aussies over there. And, yeah, it was just a really, yeah, it was just a really fun experience, even though the race wasn't, um, yeah, like it was probably not my best in terms of time. But, um, but yeah, I won my age group. So I was pretty, that was, yeah, I wasn't kind of expecting to get anywhere near the front. So, um, but, yeah, I was hoping to hoping to win my age group because I won my age group at UTMB last year. So I thought that'd be pretty cool to get the double. Um, so, yeah, got to be happy with that. <laughs> you had a little bit of a problem with uh, the, the poles, some, uh, some, <sighs> some potential thieves over in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that was so weird. Um, so I got to the main aid station where my friend was supposed to be and I couldn't see her and I thought, oh, she hasn't made it. And I've never done this before, but I put my poles down and um, went to get water and food and stuff. And I put my water, got the water, put my water bottles next to my poles and then got some food, saw my friends, picked everything up and went out over there, left the aid station. And then I'm like, these are not my poles. <laughs> They're the same brand and they were where I left my poles. But And then I'm like, am I like, have I got this right? But they were totally rusted up. The handles, the straps were like a different size and they they um, they wouldn't lock out at all. So I had to, I went back into the aid station. I looked around. I asked somebody and um, and then, yeah, so I lost a bit of time faffing around there. Um, and then um, 
yeah, a guy a guy that I actually met in Salzburg when I was over there last year was crewing for someone else um, who I'd met there who was being coached by my coach. Um, and he had some spare poles and he said, do you want to take them? And I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to do. And I'm like, well, these are useless. So, yeah, I'll take them. So that, that at least I had poles, but um, yeah. But then I ran after that. Um, I had a really good section. So I think it just put a bit of fire in my belly because I was so pissed off. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened? And, you know, I've got to make time up. And so I had a pretty good, I had a pretty good run after that. So maybe it was meant to be, but do not yeah. put your poles down That's <laughs> in those. Yeah. So someone else told me their poles got taken, completely taken at an aid station at CCC as well. Really? They had to do almost the whole race without poles. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't imagine uh, bothering. Doesn't every European have their own poles anyway? Surely you don't need to steal them. Yeah, but I guess they like, you know, they're like extensions of their arms. So if they're broken or they haven't got them, then they're like, I can't run. I need someone else's. (laughs) Oh, it's no good. My my faith in trail runners has been dashed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. It is a strange thing to flog, but anyway. Maybe it's just a cultural thing where it's anything goes. Like if you put them down, it's any you know, it's anything oh, it's goes. A real, it's a real race, like, you know, yeah. deep dastardly <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh very good. And, and look, it was it was great to see Steve up at the Lonely Mountain Ultra the other day. Um, he's looking really well. He looks like he's recovered from last year's accident over in Europe again. Is is he in good shape? Yeah, yeah, he's doing pretty well. He's um he's got um he's got a few uh, residual injuries that he's dealing with, but yeah, he's he's going great really. So and is yeah. he back on the bike? Yeah, he is. He actually um he actually bought an e bike whilst I was in Europe. Um, we did have a kind of understanding that he was allowed to buy an e-bike after he'd renovated the kitchen, but I came back to the same kitchen and an e-bike, so I couldn't really complain. I'd had three weeks in Chamonix. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty good trade-off, an e-bike for a trip oh, yeah. to Chamonix. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he's been absolutely loving it, actually, so that's great. That's great to see. Very good. And is he still brewing some beer? Yeah, just for himself and and close friends, Paul. So you know, if you're okay. in the vicinity of the Blue Mountains, he's got a good um good stout on tap at the moment. Does he just? Oh, I'm, I'm a bit partial to a good stout, as <laughs> some of our listeners might know. <laughs> oh, very good. I'll be coming through Mount Victoria soon. I'll be two hours. <laughs> Uh, very good. And, and look, it, it seems like the GPT 100 miler is next on your agenda there. How, how are you shaping up for it, Lou? Yeah, look, I'm feeling um, pretty, a little bit apprehensive about it, um, as you would do before a miler. Um, I would have liked to have done a, a bit more training on the course, but um, I was lucky enough to go to the camp in um, June and um, I, ran, I ran a fair bit. So hopefully the, that will come back to me when I'm out there. Um, it's it's very uh, technical, um, but it's also really beautiful. Um, and I'm excited to just do that whole trail from north north to south. So, yeah, be yeah, hopefully to finish and um, have done the whole trail will be fantastic. I think the vibe will be really good. Um, yeah, and just kind of like reflecting on where I was this time last year. Um, this is yeah, a, a kind of, exactly a year ago I had the surgery and. Um, 
with the World Trail Champs this year in Austria, I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to apply to be on that team because it's a really technical trail and I can't do that with my knee. And then I'm finishing the year with a super technical miler. So if I finish it and the knee survives, so yeah, I'll just be stoked. So, yeah. Fantastic. And have you been down to the Grampians in your previous life as a rock climber, Luke? No, I climbed at Arapiles, but I never climbed at Grampians. And um, I know it's uh, it's yeah, it's not a great talking point with rock climbers, with um, a lot of the top, you know, favorite climbing areas being being banned. So, um, hopefully, hopefully, running the race won't won't upset too too many of my lovely climber friends. But um, just really want to appreciate the um, the scenery and support single track. So yeah, I think they've. They're doing a, a fantastic job with the race, so yeah, amazing. Might, might be one for the bucket list. I reckon, yeah, fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much for your time, Lou, and and once again, congratulations on uh, what has been a very impressive year to date. Um, and and look forward to uh, that stout and a and a run through the Blue Mountains soon. Yeah, definitely. Let us know when you're up this way. And yeah, we yeah, we we do another run, actually. That was a long I, time ago. I think we are Lou. Okay, we're down here at Ranala with Sean the Godfather Tyndale. How are you, mate? Good Hattie. Good, Good. Hattie, yes. Good looking very upright today. Very straight. Yeah. No, rehab's going well starting to get back into some strength work now with the knee and Good. uh i hear there's a tilt at the uh lonely mountain ultra happening next year mate yeah you, you look ready i, I will be <laughs> i'm confident i will be yeah i've spoken to scotty a lot of time over the phone so it's about time to meet him i think so good meet, fella yeah yeah he's a good fella and, Leon. and getting heaps of great feedback about the event yeah. uh obviously in its second year this year mm. And uh, yeah, an orange, beautiful, beautiful country as well it as beautiful is. wine. So, oh mate, yeah, why not combine a, the two? A few and, of those. Um, Pull on every corner too. Yeah, that was amazing. The, yeah. Quite amazing. We tested out, I think almost all of them actually. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, give muzzle. Yeah. So now that's the goal. Yeah, for next year to get up there and um, very good. Yeah, do one of the distances. And you couldn't go any better than the Sense Ride 5 for uh, the Lonely Mountain Ulster, mate, I think. Yeah. That's what you wore? Yeah, I, I didn't, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, wore the, uh, I wore the Salomon Pulsar, actually, a bit more of a racy shoe. Yes. But I'm training a ton in the Sense Ride 5. Sense Ride 5, yeah. Well, the update to the Sense Ride 5, I think, is great. Um, they hadn't done an imp update... With the previous four, and it's sort of stayed the same for a few years. So this is, to me, feedback reviews have all been very, very positive, yep. very high. Uh, to me, it's one of the versatile shoes in the Solomon range. Uh, it's equally good on short, fast trails, as well as long, long runs. So, um, yeah, you've been running in it. Um, how, have you, how have you found it? Mate, yeah, I, it was sort of a bit of a transition from the marathon training back into some mm. trail stuff. And I reckon that's one of the best parts about the Sense Ride is that it it does traverse the, the road and the trail really, really well. Yes. And so, yeah, getting from a pair of uh, like big, big chunky sort of ASICs on the road to, to getting back into some of these sort of more uh, technical trail shoes, it was a really easy transition. Um, 
And so I, I think in terms of a roadrunner coming across and doing some trails, you, you, you couldn't be better suited than yeah, the Yeah, it's got that there. sort of road feel about it in a trail grip. Yep. Um, it's an 8mm drop, so it's obviously a lot of the shoes around that rages we're seeing now are 6 mil drops so that transition is is pretty not going, is pretty close yeah yeah it's a bit lighter than the sense ride four it's about five or six grams i think lighter okay um and i think that's due to the midsole isn't this new energy foam so it's a, a little bit lighter a mm -hmm. um, little bit more plush and cushioned underfoot the four the centroid four seem to be a little bit more stiffer this has got a little bit more give yeah uh, which it's a little bit more responsive, as I said, light, and it's it's a it's got good balance and sort of structure. Mm. Yeah, well, I actually found the structure to be different because I had the Sensoride fours, and I found that midfoot structure was a little bit more supportive than their previous sort of models. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it just just helped a little bit when you're sort of getting a bit fatigued. For me, I'm not sort of a a big pronator, pretty neutral sort of shoe, but um, I, I found that that support to be really useful uh, on some techie sort of terrain but yep. also when you're getting fatigued towards the back end of a run that was that was really helpful yeah it's good that the outsole grip is that conti grip which it's just it's not aggressive but it's still grippy just to give you that confidence in in both you know wet conditions and fire trail and a little bit of technical so it's sort of that as i said it's that multi-purpose versatile trail shoe in that range the upper's nice and lightweight as well it's got good Toe protection, toe box protection, toe box protection. My favourite phrasing. Yeah, um, which which is good. It's not going to tear. It's it's got um, that nice breathable upper, and the speed laces, as everybody loves. Um, once you lock them in, you're good. You're good. Doesn't yep. come undone. It's got that little garage where you can tuck it up under as well <laughs> um, on the tongue. And uh, yeah, overall, a fantastic shoe. Yeah, I agree. I think the uh, yeah the grip is really appropriate for Aussie trails. Typically, yes. I don't think you need anything too much more aggressive for the majority of the stuff we do. I was sort of up and down honeymoon stairs, up and down Temptation Creek, which yep, is really perfect. scratchy at the moment, but it's handling all that stuff yep. yeah really well. But also run from home in them, so I've got a couple of k's on the road before I hit the trails, and it feels really great, That's on, great. on the yeah. path as, as well. As I said, the so, outsole's not too aggressive that you're going to wear it out pretty quick yep. on the road it's it's that yeah yeah in terms of wear honestly I, I reckon they're such a super durable shoe like um having had the previous sort of incarnation of the sense ride I just get so many k's out of them like yeah the uppers heaps durable like i often wear through the toes of these things quickly but not not in this particular shoe yeah. like and that's the yeah. feedback you, you do get a lot of k's out of these shoes yeah. um so which is a, a positive yeah and they're not they're not in that ridiculous price range as well. No, sitting no. around that you know two twenty, two thirty mark, which yeah. is which is a great great value. Yeah, for sure. And, and as I said, I think you you'll get plenty of K's out of them, so that's that's good value again. Um, yeah, I, I'd use it as a as an all round training shoe. Yeah, for for just about anything around yeah. around here, around this part of the world. Yeah, all that mixed terrain kind of stuff. Aussie conditions works yeah. well. And as I said, yeah, really good transition from yeah marathon training into some more sort of trail based stuff. Yeah, so it's a great shoe for that. You see a lot of shoes on the market now that are just huge um, yeah. in cushioning terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for, there's a lot of people out there that don't like those that 
max cushioning yep. version. So this is a perfect perfect shoe. It's still soft and responsive, but it's not doesn't have that mm. forty meter or forty mil forty, <laughs> 40 mil meter, yeah, forty like mil um, heel heel um, drop and um, it's it's just that max cushioning, yeah. which to me can be you know over technical terrain can be a little bit dangerous. Oh, I foot. think so too. It's not something I'm looking for with with ter- terrain that we're running on at the moment. Yeah. Obviously, it makes a massive difference on on the road. That that yes. cushioning is is excellent. I find, but yep. I, I do feel a bit of ground feel yep. is useful out, exactly. out there in the bush. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I think this suits that pretty perfectly, mate. So, yeah, yeah, it's a winner for me. Good. So uh, we, we, we've had Killian in the shop recently with his normal shoes. We have, yeah. yeah. yeah how'd you find them? They're good. They are going to be... It's a, it's a niche shoe. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not a shoe for, that's going to be for everyone. Mm. Um, same thing. Grip's really good. Wear pattern is phenomenal. Yep. Um, lot People are getting lots of Ks out of the shoe. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a shoe that you either... Like in the hockers, in a way, you you'll yeah, either yeah, like yeah. it or you won't. Bit polarizing, um, kind of. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, but no feedback's been really positive. Okay. Um, same as you know, he's got his range. We've got his packs out, hydro packs as well. Oh right, um, okay. He's also got a range of that. He Killian, I think, was one of the ones who um, designed the advanced skin yep. range. Yeah. Um, with the Solomon, yeah, obviously being with Solomon for a yeah, yeah, being with Solomon for a lot of lot of years. Mm. So. Um, and you know he's got he, they've got their own hats and socks and I think they're coming out with some apparel as well. Okay. So oh, yeah, cool. we've we've got the hats and socks in store and All but right. yeah we've sold a few and the feedback's been been good. If it works for Killian, it's got exactly. to work. You know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He is the goat. He is. <laughs> he's he the, is. Well, mountain goat in a sense. And, yeah. and what about next week? You got the boys from On coming in to uh, do have. some test driving. Yeah. We have um, next story? Thursday night, twenty third. Twenty third of November. Of November, yeah. Yep. So we will be wear testing the Cloud Eclipse, which is their latest Max Cushioning shoe. Okay. Feedback again has been really good with this shoe. Um, That's a road shoe. It's a road shoe. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, and so come down, um, try a pair on, take them for a spin. Uh, we'll have other brands, uh, other styles there as well. The Monster, I think, and probably the Cloud Strata. So you know, there's a range that you can take for a run, come back. Yeah. We've got some lucky door prizes. They're giving away. We're giving away a free pair of women's and men's shoes. Cool. A cloud eclipses and you know there's other lucky door prizes as well we've got beer we've got pizza we've got water oh, oh. why not it's a tick in every box fun and run yeah so, so next thursday 23rd of at the november shop. yeah at the shop meet at the shop at around 5 30 for a six o'clock quarter to six start okay. yeah great and we'll probably be here till about eight so if people are running late doesn't matter just turn up get um on, get on down and get on down yeah unreal we, we've also got um, some bucket hats coming too from Fractal. Ranella bucket hats. Is that right? Designed by none other than our own Scotty Richmond. Scoot. Scoot. Can design. Very, Scoot. very exciting. Excellent. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully be here before Chrissy. Okay. Oh, yeah. what a stuffing stocker. Oh. <laughs> It's a bit Stuff of a tongue twister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, exciting for that to come. Yeah. Oh, very good. So we've, oh, we've got our Fractal caps done they're in store they're unwrapped how they came up so yep. yeah this will be even more exciting yeah they had the fractal ranella hat on for the lonely mountain actually yep. find the flag got your home works well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all righty mate well thank you for the review great as always and uh we'll catch you next thursday yes thanks mate
right. Well, welcome to another episode of Running Matters Podcast. My name's Scott, and I've got a special guest on the line tonight. His name is Gerald McPherson, recent winner of the 104-kilometre Lonely Mountain Ultra. Thanks for coming on, Gerald. No problem, Scott. I ended up running 105 kilometres, so <laughs> just want to clarify that first. <laughs> well, look, that, that, yeah, look, that was, was my fault, though. <laughs> <laughs> bit of um, indecision, I think, at one of the aid stations. However, uh-huh. yes. Well, um, we'll get into that, actually, because uh, Anna Pillinger, the winner of the female event, the first thing she showed me was her watch that read exactly 104.00. So that's happy happy days for race director. I, I think her Strava got 103.99, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just goes to show I've, um, conflict ongoing between Garmin and Strava. Well, see, we want to we want to make sure you get past a hundred. I've done <laughs> I've done three hundred k races in my life, and Strava tells me I've never run a hundred k, so oh, I have to no. keep going back. <laughs> well, I think that's that's similar. There's sort of Blackall and then UTA all come in at about ninety eight, ninety nine, which I think is it. I don't think an extra two k's at the end of the race is doable. I think an extra 10 metres for Anna would have been doable. <laughs> anyway, now, she's uh, not here to defend herself. Mate, so. I'm super keen to unpack the race, but uh, I'm going to try something a bit different with you. I'm going to do a little get to know Gerald. You've been on the podcast before, episode 91, for anyone that uh, wants to go and have a listen to the back catalogue. But I'm going to throw some questions at you, uh, and you've got to come up with your answers. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Let's go. Nicknames. Jez. That's pretty much my yes. only one. Jez, Jezza. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yeah. we'll go with that. I'm I'm crowning you little G, but we'll come to that a bit later. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I had a PE teacher when I was 15. Um, he, anyway, he's probably not a listener of the podcast, but <laughs> big Mr. Quinn. Um, I got G unit. I don't know why, probably because I was probably, you know, the least gangster and the smallest uh, in the basketball team when I was 15. So, <laughs> so anyway. G in it. Uh, G- number two, if yeah. you couldn't be a runner, uh, what sport would you choose? Definitely not walking. Um, well, look, if I didn't get into running, I probably would have continued to ride track horses. <laughs> um, thank God that it didn't work out for me, but that might have been my second sport. Mate, let's go after that. So you were a jockey. So so, so dad, dad wanted to be a jockey and I was the right build. And so he got us on all the X-race horses when we were younger. And... So we basically just used to ride them with the pads, like the little jockey pads, not the full saddle. Um, And I actually quite enjoyed it until I think there was a couple of fatalities on the track that we were obviously we didn't see, but there was um, a few incidents that happened in pretty quick succession when I think I was about nine or 10. And so just pretty much straight away gave up the riding. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was really nice, really enjoyable to do. And, but I, I don't think I'd pursue it now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, yeah, it was good. Good build for a jockey. Did you have any bad ops? Um, how do you mean? Did I have any? Like, did, did you come off? You know, did you ever have any big spills? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, you could ask my mum. <laughs> yeah. 
Never that. No, I mean, none of them that we ended up in hospital. Um, but there was, I think just, just cause the way that you'd sort of get caught in a couple of like get caught in the stirrups. Um, there was a few times where, and racehorses are quite different to control in that if you're pulling on the reins a bit tighter, sometimes they'll just go faster. And so I didn't know that as a seven, eight, nine year old. And so pulling on the reins to try and pull up this horse that's, you know, 500 times the size of me and, <laughs> and got thrown onto the, I think the worst one that happened to me was got thrown onto the, basically the, the main, the neck of the horse and trying to work out a way to get off and didn't want to jump onto the ground because we were going too quick in the ground. It was pretty rough and hard and thought that I'd probably break something if I jumped onto the ground, thought that I could probably manage the fence. <laughs> so I jumped onto the fence and basically Superman onto the fence. And um, I think mum spent the next day or two under the light, just picking out black splinters from, <laughs> from the right side of my body. <laughs> So that was probably wow. the, the closest, uh, the, the probably the most interesting fall I had um, that I can remember. <laughs> anyway. Mate, I'm getting a little delay out of my earpiece, so I'm just going to pull it out and see if we can do any better. One sec. All right. Can you hear me still? Yeah. Yeah, fine. But, uh, let's go with that. All right. Um, back to running. What's your perfect pre-race dinner? Oh, actually would have to say, so dad's come onto this like, you know, chicken rice business and it's like, you know, the, um, it's basically just like rice cooked in chicken stock and a bit of chicken thrown in and some, you know, fried shallots on top. And it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's like chicken porridge basically. Um, well, that's the colloquial name for it. Anyway, that seems to stand up quite well. And I've done that. It's quick, simple. Done that for a few ultras now. So nice. Chicken stock rice made by Janet. I like <laughs> it. Um, before a race, I always charge my watch. And yeah, I think that's definitely the thing that I always do. Oh, yeah. 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 Charge my watch, put sunscreen on. Nice. Uh, worst, worst place for chafe. Nibbles. Yeah, fair. Right, nibble. Yep. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> that was the worst one. I'll leave that yeah. with you, little Jake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bucket list race that you haven't yet done. Hmm. Um. Oh, um. Oh, the one in New Zealand. Uh, Northburn, Huddermiler. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Love yeah. it. You you've got the bill for some UTMB. Is there any UTMB calling? <laughs> so it's unfair because Hannah's got a priority for UTMB this year. Sorry, next year. Um. So I'll I'll have to crew. I'll be relegated to crew. So you know. <laughs> you can do I'll like the triple C or something. I'll, yeah. yeah I'll, I mean, I'll enjoy it vicariously. So nice. Uh, if you could change one race result of your own, so think of all the races you've ever done. If you could change one of them, go back. What one was it? Oh man, six <laughs> foot this year. <laughs> six foot this year was possibly the most demoralizing race that I've ever had because I was fit and I was ready and I knew the course. Well, I thought I did. 
And um, the last minute, well, the changes that they made from the previous year was just this tiny little out and back square that was like 4K. And there was just one corner that wasn't marked. (laughs) And, yeah, anyway, ended up going from like fifth place to 28th place and ran an extra 6Ks and then (laughs) ran back with Nipper, James Nipper, who, who him and I took this wrong turn together. And I got to about 3K out and and turned around and said to him, look, I don't think we're going the right way. And he said, oh, do you reckon we could just take a shortcut through the forest? And I was like, well, I've done that before and that hasn't worked out. So <laughs> we should just go back the way we came. Um, yeah, I, I think it was probably one of my more disappointing races and was just out of my control. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to be able to undo that one. I remember looking at your Strava that day and I waited about a week to tentatively... <laughs> Say, hey, great run, mate. <laughs> you you still work ready to say thanks. I was fine at the end of it. I think it was more, uh, you know, I was enjoying the finish and then was just really disappointed in the days that came after that. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think mainly more than anything, we just sort of, I think because there was quite a lot of us that took wrong turns at that point um, and a lot of us that were like, they, they obviously fixed it really quickly, which was really great. And there was guys that were in sort of, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth position that didn't have an issue with that particular corner. Um, and so that would have been, that would have been, and, and that was a really good, uh, measure that they put in place really early, but yeah, <laughs> it, it cost us our race. <laughs> and I mean, you know, shout out to Mike Carroll, who, was on track to do really well and was having a fantastic race and also took a wrong turn at that point as well. So I, at least I had some commiseration. <laughs> Mate, I'm surprised. I thought you might have gone throwback to 2019 or whatever it is where you decided to throw <laughs> up everything only with further steps to go in the 50. I mean, but okay there. <laughs> that, was, that was my fault. <laughs> I'll admit my faults. All right, next one. Um, what's on your long run playlist? I don't listen to music when I'm on long runs. Right. Um, How about okay? Um, well, what's on your what's on your getting ready for a race? Fire me up kind of playlist. Um. Oh, look. Honestly, it's I. I actually quite listening to you know eighties rock and seventies music and just a lot of music that I enjoy more so than music that sucks me up. Um, I think I used to be more of a listen to music that sucks me up when I was sort of doing track, but I found the more that I've done longer races, I've just wanted to be relaxed going into the race. So I just listen to things that. 80s rock it is, mate. I'm with you. Uh, Post-race beer, yes or no? Absolutely. (laughs) You know me. Good. (laughs) Just the one. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, look, in fairness, the mountain cultures often are like three for the, value of one so <laughs> yeah yeah Agar was the hazy this year at lonely mountain like it was a little bit light on about four percent perfect yeah. little set mile it's yeah. good yeah i don't i mean i think i thought i'd enjoy it as in i i enjoy mountain culture beers but when i was finishing i really thought that i'd enjoy it and then i don't think the stomach was ready for it so <laughs> i had probably you know half a beer and then decided that it wasn't the best option for me and thought look i can probably wait a couple hours so, so disappointing, isn't it, mate? Like I always go in a race thinking, oh, that finish line beer is just going to be Can't wait. Gone. Can't wait. And then, yeah, yeah. You get there and it's the last yeah. thing you're after. Oh. And you're like all the nausea from, you know, gels for 12 yeah. hours comes back. 
anyway. So good. Um, okay, rate your commitment to the following out of 10. 10 being fully committed, one, I'm rubbish. You ready? Mm. Diet. Seven. Stretching. Six. Rolling. Eight. Core strength. Four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, PB in a marathon. Have you got a road marathon PB? Yeah. There's a really good photo from the PB marathon year as well. It's where like, so I, I, I wore the Carbon X's, the first edition of the Hawk Carbon X's when they came out and um my laces came undone and i had them lace locked and so i ran from 5k <laughs> until the finish <laughs> with these laces just flying in every what direction um 233 i think 233 yeah. yeah melbourne marathon 2019 and then after that decided decided that i didn't really want to go through that pain again so <laughs> yeah so you've parked it you think that'll be your pb maybe i'm not i'm not in a rush to do another marathon i don't think um yeah there's too many other races that i want to do yeah okay uh number 12 favorite piece of running gear well there's can i've got three Mm -hmm. so my new my new bucket hat is great (laughs) sunglasses honestly highly highly underestimated i think particularly in you know regional australia and anywhere where there's a river and there's bugs and then poles i think i down talked poles for so much of my life and got to you know you get to like 90k and just rely on them Hmm. so three Sorry, but three. Yeah, nice. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to give me some hints on those. I've never run with poles, so I might pick your brain one day. Um, yeah, it's good. Um, at school, I was. Well, if you read my reports from when I was in kindy, I was apparently a bully, and I don't know how that happened because I probably wasn't even a meter yet. But then, come year six, I think, and you know, definitely through year seven to twelve, I was a. I was goody two shoes. I was textbook. I was yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we won't go after that. <laughs> nothing. Nothing <laughs> too fantastic. Disappointing. I'm a school no, teacher. Mate. Disappointing. No, I wanted no, some serious no. stories. Right? <laughs> uh, last question for you. Your best piece of advice for new runners. Uh I think a piece of advice that I I got probably early on in my. But I think this probably applies more to ultra running um, and longer runs, like if you're doing a marathon, is that if you think you're going slower, sorry, if you think you're going slow, just go slower because often in the longer races, you'll feel really good and you've tapered and the first 5K, 10K, 20, 30, 50 can feel great. But I think the goal is to get to at least halfway and feel like you can do it all again. So I think a really good piece of advice that I got was particularly when doing races that are technical and have lots of climbing is that if you think you're going slow, you probably should just go slower and yeah. you'll often find yourself in a better position later on in a race. So yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, yeah. I once heard it said along the lines of try and start the race at the pace you can finish at. Um, yeah. And I've never got anywhere near that. 
I got it. I don't know how that's possible. I know you could pull three minute forties in the hundred and fourth k. I know. I mean, it's downhill, so it doesn't count. <laughs> and there was a drone, so I had, I had pressure from all angles. Yeah. Hey, yeah. um, thanks for going through that for our listeners that uh, haven't heard your previous episode. Hopefully, they get a little sense of who you are. But I'd like to dig into your most recent victory at the Lonely Mountain Ultra a couple of weekends ago. Firstly, congratulations again. Um, that means you're the second time consecutive and therefore only winner of the men's race. Uh, it was great to see you get that done. I'd love to sort of just unpack the race a little bit for you and, and get into some of the details um, of how the race unfolded, your strategy, um, but also then to sort of backwards track a little bit and ask about your preparation and, and how you pulled it all together. Mm-hmm. So firstly, in, in your assessment, talk us through that first lap. you got to go out from the race hub and hit the 50K loop. Um, how'd you find that and how'd you tackle it? Um, I thought the 50, firstly, I think I found the 50 harder this year than I did last year. And I probably a combination of the actual course being harder, but I think I was in a tricky position because I felt like I was running a good race and then at about 22k wasn't actually that far in front of the guys that were in sort of second which was surprising to me because I I did think I actually I did want to put a bit of ground between people at at that point and and obviously through the 50 as well and I did want to run my own race but just felt a lot more pressure in this first lap than I did previously um and I think that made me run a bit too hard in the first 50 and felt like when I got through to the first, obviously through the first lap, didn't feel as fresh, felt a bit more flustered than I did in years gone by. Um, you know, despite knowing the course quite well and, yeah, just sort of not really, yeah, not I didn't really feel like I settled in the first lap of the race. Um, I think I got until you know, definitely getting into that 30 and then the 22 where I actually felt like I settled down a little bit and found a good pace and found a good rhythm. I felt like I was a lot more stressed um, within that first lap. There was also, I found the course harder to navigate probably because I didn't know some of the new sections that got put in compared to when I ran it last year, which is when I felt like I knew the course really well. And that probably put a bit more pressure on me to focus on navigation because I did take a couple of wrong turns. And I think that just made me, obviously just made me more stressed and um, yeah, yeah. So coming coming down to that, obviously um, with my race director hat on, do you feel that you missed turns because you're on autopilot, you're under that race stress, you're moving and you've missed a turn or do you feel like we can build some of that flagging and marking in areas? I, I mean, in honesty, I thought the the race was actually really well marked. And when I went back to sections that I, there was a couple, only there was only really only two sections where I missed it. Um, and it was, you know, I actually missed the X and I and the arrow. Um, and I think that was probably because I was thinking ahead to the next thing and just wasn't focusing on maybe taking that next turn whereas compared to last year I knew the turns that I had to take and so I was planning for those but Mm. this year I didn't quite know where the turns would be and wasn't expecting them when they came up and then just got a bit frazzled when 
got thrown a curveball and thought I was down the, you know, down the wrong track. And then you do what you do and you throw a tantrum in the middle of nowhere and no one can hear you. And then you turn around and then, <laughs> and then you go, okay, everything's fine now. I found the course again. It's fine. Like, yeah. not. I think that happened to me a couple of times and then found myself turning back at sort of 23, 25K and ran back and met guys who were in second and third and sort of ran back a K or like, I don't know, 750 or whatever met them they said yeah yeah yeah, you're on the right track it's it's okay and we got to the next turn and sort of negotiated it together kept going no issues after that but that just played in my mind throughout the next sort of 30 remain like 25 30 k's of the of the first lap yeah well you've completely unraveled any right to now sledge the race director for going 105 k's mate it's all on you I, know. <laughs> I said it was, it was indecision and self-doubt <laughs> so for those people that yeah. don't know the lonely mountain format the idea is um you're always running uh on an in a new loop but sometimes you'll backtrack so the 50k loop goes right out the back and around and then you go out for your 32k loop um heading back out for 32 i'm always fearful that you've come all the way down black flat and then you come through the village and you're facing what I think is the hardest way up the mountain, black flat. And you're also going to be seeing if you're in the lead, like you were, you can gauge your other competitors because you're going to see them. And if they're hunting you, they're going to be seeing you on that section and trying to suss you out. Talk us through that. What's that like in terms of the mind game of getting back out of the village after 50 Ks, knowing you're about to get hit with pretty much nine Ks of climb and also knowing that you're going to get eyes on your competitors. Um, I mean, I was, I was prepared for the climb. I knew the 30 K course really well. So I don't think I was, I, I don't think I was stressed for the 30 K. I don't think I was stressed for the climb. Cause I sort of knew that, uh, coming up black flat wasn't as hard, uh, compared to coming up wombat. So I knew that I had to do black flat to get up to the top and then to go around to wombat anyway. So I, I didn't really think too much about black flat. Um, but yeah, getting up black flat. I think it was interesting though because the way the the start was staggered as well. So came across a couple of the fifty milers and then the fifty kers, and then a couple of the guys that were coming through from the hundred. But then wasn't sure whether the hundred were part. Some of them were part of the relay or not. So I think that was. I'm not sure what the positions actually were, but felt like I had enough ground on the guys that were coming through that I was comfortable and felt you know obviously that settled settled me down a lot. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I, I did, I don't think I had a particular dread of coming up black flat. I think the nicest thing about running the course is in reverse though, when you're coming back out of the, uh, coming back out of the finishing shoot is that you actually get to see people again and you check in with other people and, you know, there'll pay, obviously Hannah was doing the 50 mile and, you get to run into people that you know and that you've run with before and it's nice to see them out running it's actually nice to see people out running so I think that was probably more helpful than it was detrimental um to my race yeah. it's just seeing people it's it's really nice being able to see people when you're out racing it's probably can be pretty lonely if you're <laughs> out for 100k yeah. you can't see anyone <laughs> so <laughs> I think the format is really nice yeah, you probably you probably made a good point there. I, I suppose even the mid packers and the back of the packers, sort mm. of just by default of the race format, yeah. have an element of company at some yeah. point, don't they? 
yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I was running into like I think throughout the whole race, I was always running into people, and it it was interesting for them as well because when I was coming back through on the hundred, I know there was a few people who were uh, they must have been out on the fifty mile and were coming around for the thirty k loop and were hella confused that I was running the opposite way. <laughs> and I think yep. if you ask me, look, am I going the right way? I'm not really sure here. So I think it's a, there's a lot of just had to give them some confidence that they were going the right way. Uh, but it's again, it's yeah. really nice to see people out on course and you get a cheer from people and you give people a cheer and uh, there's just, there was a lot of camaraderie and you're seeing people in different distances doing the 11, 22, 30. And then throughout the day, you get to see the 50 mile, 50 K people. So it was great. It's really nice the way the course works in that you don't feel like you're, out there for vast distances and not running into anyone and not sort of having any support at all. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So do you think that could be part of the appeal that the format might bring? Let's say your first time you're going to have a crack at a 50 mile or a hundred, mm-hmm. I guess you're saying that. I mean, I think the mental game, I don't know that I'd want to do it because the mental game to get back out, back out. Yeah. Is hard. I, um, I was going to say, I think the, the danger of having the lap course. And I know that a few people fell to it this year. Uh, I know people may have gone out too hard too early. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the danger of the lap course is that you come in and you stop for a second and realise how fatigued and tired you are particularly when you're going out for something like your third lap and if it's getting dark and you're having to go out for your third lap or if it's already dark and you're having to go out for your third lap that can be mentally more so than physically I think challenging because you have to stop and then reset fill up your bladder and and do all those things that you usually do at an aid station but then go out for that second lap or third lap as well um but at the same time coming through the finishing shoot seeing people and checking in and having sort of a main base for all of your aid station supplies is actually really, I think it was really handy. And it's, I found it easy to just not think about stopping and how hard it was and how hard I felt and just to stop, refill, do what I needed to do, say good day to everyone and then head back out again. So I think it, it actually taught me good skills for checkpoints as well and that you're keeping them um you're keeping them sharp yeah yeah you were pretty efficient through there I I thought you did take a little bit of extra time first time we saw you I sort of picked up on I'll just give him a bit of space here he's he's absolutely in race mode I won't stick a microphone in your face but yeah I could see you're really focused my my Jeff Browning at Hard Rocks is a legend through through the aid stations you watch him running he's uh 170k or you know 150k and he's just come through oh, i picked up a bottle kept going again i was yeah. like wow that's phenomenal so <laughs> one of the things i'm thinking about tweaking for next year is um if you're going to transition into the tent no runner gets to go under that big finish arch until it is the finish we'd split you off earlier yeah. so i think the mental thing too a lot of people you come through the finish line you've experienced that and if you're doing the mental battle will i go out or won't i all those little things can really sort of play into the look. Oh, I've done it now. I've run up there. I've finished. You know, I couldn't be bothered. I'll just call it fifty today. Yeah. So I think really trying to separate the the feel that you get from coming into transition with I've got more to do versus wow, I get to swing right here and I'm going up that finish shoot and I got it done. 
Yeah. It it is it is really nice having a race hub though and having the that central base for all of your aid supplies. Um and then again, just seeing people throughout the race at those different checkpoints and knowing that I think with the 100k format, it's really good as well because I think doing 250 loops would be more challenging in some respects than doing the 50, 30, and 20 because you know that the laps are getting less when you go out. And that's quite a comforting thought for me, it is anyway. <laughs> the 30 wasn't, the 30 was brutal. Yeah, um, especially that direction. It's nice knowing that you've got less every time that you go out. Yeah, good. Yeah. Hey, um, so you you you've got a degree in neuroscience. You're mm. currently studying medicine. Um, oh, I'm nowhere near that, but uh, I'm, I'm working. Uh, Come on, Scott. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, no. Sorry. So you finished? Yeah. Sorry. You finished your medical degree. You're you. Yeah. What are you now? An intern or registrar? What are you? Uh no, I'm a I'm a resident. So I'm second year out. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So you're a fully fledged doctor, Doctor McPherson. My background's chemistry teaching, so we can nerd it up a bit here. Um, I'm yeah, really interested in that. <laughs> I, I'm really interested in that space yeah. where uh, all the science says that when you're going to go long, when we're doing endurance racing, um, the the limiting factor for most people, well, the limiting factor for anyone who's attempting to go long is managing the waste products of the the exertion that you're, you're putting out there. So we're we're turning our sugars in the muscles into different byproducts. CO2 is one of those that we're breathing out. Um, but then you've got all this lactic acid and pyruvate and all these different things. For an elite pointy end of the field runner like yourself, um, how long into, say, a 10-hour 10, 10 effort, like you've done in the Lonely Mountain, 11-hour effort, what's a good day out for you in terms of, all right, I'm now ready to feel that real fatigue in my legs, have to fight that fatigue. Uh, do you try and aim to go, look, I can pretty much run four hours within myself before I'm managing that level of fatigue. How's it work for you and your thinking? And when do you expect to really have to grind against that real heavy leg feeling? Um. I, th I mean, I think this year and last year was at a similar point. So I felt like when I was heading out on that last 22K, it was, I was really feeling it by then. And the legs are certainly really feeling it by then. And I think the trick is, is running and it's, it's really just trying to manage it by that point as well. And hopefully you've not gone too hard too early in that you, you still have some pace left as well. But I'm finding that that point in the race, sort of 80, 90K, is where it gets really difficult um, and everything feels heavy and everything feels sore and there's a lot of hiking. But I'm finding that, you know, whether it's just, just keeping it faster hiking or just running sections that you can run, it's I think it's also probably a lot. A lot of it's mental as well. Um you feel like you can run the flat sections and it's just telling yourself that you can run the flat sections. You can run up a little bit of a, a smaller incline, but then just really stopping and hiking those tougher inclines as well. It's just managing it as you're going along. Mm -hmm. um, I would say though, it's really, it's just really interesting because I find that the, the heaviness, like fatigue is just, it's really different in that getting to that end stage of hundred K is feels a lot different to what you feel in a marathon or what you feel in a 10k or a 5k where you still feel fatigued but you feel like you've 
you, your legs can go a little bit longer. Um, but I think getting to the end of a hundred, it's, you know, the, the body's really starting to feel it, but you're not out of breath. It's just no. that you're really feeling like things are starting. You're doing a lot of damage and things are breaking down. And, and I think it's just about managing your pace definitely throughout the race, but then in those later stages as well, is just not pushing yourself beyond what you think your body can manage. Yeah. So I get to view um, the uh, slow degradation of runners at the back of the field. And I reckon what I see at the back of the field is um, we all lose form so quickly, right? I think um, the first thing to go uh, is pace. And that's immediately followed by people that might've looked okay running an hour ago and now got, they've got the shuffle going. They look terrible just walking um, all the forms gone Mm. Uh, whereas when I see uh, runners like yourself, I, I sense that you're suffering as much as the backpackers in terms of pain management, but your form seems the same as when you first left. How how much work do you put into in those moments to keep in good form, really good ergonomics, stride length, foot placement, running efficiently, even when every sort of pain molecule is saying drop your form and just drag yourself home? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I, I've been running a, a while. <laughs> I, I think it's, I, I think form, I, and obviously form doesn't come as easily to everyone as what it does. And everyone's forms a little bit different, and everyone's economics are a little bit different as well. But I think doing doing a lot of training is one of the most helpful ways that you can improve your form. Um, and really just getting used to being out for that amount of time as well. Not necessarily going and doing eight, nine, 10 hour long runs, but doing five, six hours and feeling comfortable on your feet for that amount of time and doing that on a, you know, semi-regular basis, particularly if you're training, if you're training for a hundred, then it, it's at least nice to know that you feel like you can manage a hundred and then doing, let's say in, in training, you might be doing sort of 50K up to maybe like 60K. And it's just about teaching the body to run for that amount of time. And then I think the efficiency and the gait and things like that come more as a byproduct of the amount of training that you're doing. Um, yeah. So are you, I, I don't, I don't you necessarily, I, I've never been someone who's like work, had to work too hard on my gait. I've always found that through you know, doing enough training and then doing your complementary work that I so so suggested that I so poorly adhere to earlier in there. <laughs> it's you know, it is about like, you know, doing your 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 strength exercises that are relevant and you know, doing an adequate amount of stretching and just ensuring that you're doing the right training as well. And I find that form often comes from training over a longer amount of time. It's not necessarily preparing for your first hundred and three months. It might be training and and that form might come from three years of training for hundreds or fifties. And then it's through it's more through years of years of years of running, I would say. So would you say, let's say you're 80 Ks deep in the Lonely Mountain, yeah. you're heading out on the fairly runnable um, first part of the 22 lap, you know, you've, you've cut little bumps, but it's pretty runnable through Boree and then you hit the the single trail. Yeah. At any point of that, as you're fatigued and you're fighting to move well, 
are you playing a mental game of I've got to keep my form or is it more probably similar to everyone else? I've got to control the pain. I choose to run. And the way that you run is just the way your body's learnt to run. If Gerald's running, he runs like this. Yeah, I would say there's def- there's an element of that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm consciously adjusting how, I, how I'm running. It's more of a making a decision as to which sections am I going to run a bit slower, which sections am I going to hike. And yeah. then playing, I think one thing, I, re- I remember my first UTA 22 and this is probably the the moment where I learned was that walking is okay. <laughs> that I would, I would run until I got to the next K point and then I'd be like, okay, I can walk for a bit now. Um, and so I think it's really just about manage for me. Anyway, I find that it's about uh, just playing little breaking things down. And I think a lot of people do this as well is that you're not breaking hundred K or 104, 105K in down into um you know that whole race particularly when you're getting towards the back end and it's getting hard um just breaking the race down into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller sections and so doing what you find that you can manage so for one one thing that i often do is that i know that the bore section uh or gullamandinia is going to be relatively runnable um, and so just saying, look, I'm going to run the end, run to the end of Gullamandinia and I'm going to shuffle by that point. Um, and then I know that there's a hill at the end of that. And so I'll stop and I'll hike and I'm okay with that. And it's, and I'll hike to the end of that hill. And then I know that there's a flat section coming up or knowing that even if they you know, even if I didn't know the course is that saying, okay, well, after I get to the top of this hill, then I can run the next part. And I think about just breaking the course down into smaller parts, making it more manageable mentally at that point in the race has helped me anyway. How important do you think it is for runners to um, learn that it can you can come good again? Um, it's a funny game, isn't it? And I think yeah. you have to have had it go completely <laughs> south for you. Yeah. Um, and many runners will give up at that point, won't they? Whether it's they're going couch to 5K park run, yeah. they're trying to do 10K half marathon, whatever it is, you know, that you get that moment where it, you're completely undone. And a lot of people will say, I, I can't run past that point yeah. as if that's their limitation. How important do you think it is for runners to get themselves in that place, problem solves, troubleshoot? And then do you exercise, do you remember times and places where you've come good again? You know, for some reason around the next corner, you're running well again. And sometimes you find yourself running crazy pace two hours after you thought you were done. Is that yeah. an experience at your level as well? Is is that part of it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think, I don't, I don't know if it's luck, but there's obviously races where things go right and there's races where things go wrong. And sometimes you can't always put your finger on what went right and what went wrong. Um. I think, I mean, personally, I've had a lot of bad races. So, and, <laughs> and, and they've gone like horrifically wrong. And I think my number one worst race, despite the fact that it probably wasn't my worst race on paper, was um, oh, when I did, I did Hut to Hut in 2021. So I did the Archie uh, 55K, brutal, brutal, brutal course. And for some reason, it was just nauseous the whole way, the whole way. The whole 55K, I had like one gel and like a bowl of water, maybe, and was just busted after that. Decided that I was never going to do that again. And I think having those races just 
shows you and particularly finishing those races as well like even just saying to yourself look today's race it's gonna it's not going my way but I'm gonna finish it and I think reflecting on that actually really helps you show that you can do it but then you can start to develop strategies as to okay what can you do next time Um, and so I think for me it was just trialing a bunch of different things Um, you know from nutrition to like race preparation um in training and just yeah I guess just like problem solving as well Mm. I guess there's also times where things have come good and you know why they've come good and it's really excellent to go through a race and have a really dark patch and then you do something and it works because you know for next time and you know that you can fix that problem next time it happens whereas if you just pull out and obviously there's there's some instances where like if you're injured and there's things that have gone wrong that you can't fix that's yeah that's that's fine but when things do go right and you do fix things it's a really satisfying feeling and yeah, yeah it just shows you can't problem solve on the go yeah um, i think keeping busy during the race i don't i don't know why but like it, even if it's thinking about oh you know what i'm going to do at the next aid station or you know um like i said breaking that particularly as you get into those later stages of the race breaking things down into smaller chunks and really just keeping busy keeping your mind busy during the race is actually really helpful um yeah because you you tend to sort of not be as critical on yourself Mm. speaking of being a bit critical on yourself i think um people from the medical field are really well represented in in trail running circles. It seems every second person is a doctor or a nurse, or they, you know, it, it just seems to go with the territory. Do you find yourself obviously you know a lot about physiology and you know a lot about um, different levels of stress on the body and and does that ever work against you in a negative sense, whereby you start to play that game of hang on, um, that color urine shouldn't is never good or um, this level going up. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to be to sort of overanalyze and start self sort of diagnosing that, look, I really probably should (laughs) because I know what that physiological sign is or does that enter into your brain? I I think by the time you're reaching those points as well, particularly me where it was often, often the issues I haven't had touch wood. I haven't had many instances where it's been an injury, like a physical injury that's prevented me from stopping or not progressing further in a race. It's predominantly been, I've chugged too much water on a cold day or, or I haven't got my nutrition right or I haven't got my my electrolytes right. Um, and, I mean, that might sound nerdy, but, it, I mean, each person's different, but you do, particularly going into longer races, you do need to have strategies and you do need to be a bit nerdy with your nutrition and and things like that for, you can't just, it can't just be a whim often. Um, but I think by the time I've gotten to those points, there's nothing going on yeah. in my head. It's, <laughs> I'm just confused. And just another... often the only thing I can think of is the fastest way out of this race is finishing. Yeah. I don't want to wait around. I feel terrible right now. I don't want to wait around for St. John's ambulance to pick me up at the bottom of the hill. That might be three hours. I can finish this race in an hour and a half. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I think UTAs 
a stickler for that because you get to 35k oh. and you feel like you have to finish you know particularly you know in the 50 classic example for me was i most definitely took far too much water on on a cold day and you know most of that ended up on the single track coming coming out of the valley and i think when you when you're that close to the finish it's 2k's i've got got to finish now so i don't know i find that there's there's a lot of separation though between um you know obviously like what i do at work and thinking about things at work and then what's going on and what's happening to me while i'm out running they're very different um aspects of my life and often they don't i often don't find they come together um, I don't find myself thinking about, you know, rhabdo or kidney injuries or like taking too many NSAIDs or things like that when I'm out running. <laughs> My sodium is probably all over the place. That's probably why. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, um, I had, a, I had a battle this year in, in UTA and, uh, I'll talk to you about it off air. I won't go on air, but I had a symptom that I knew that if I shared it with, um, Lauren, who's probably listening at Queen Vic, <laughs> 78 kids and she wouldn't have let me go out. There's no way I was going to tell her what was going on because you just knew that everyone's going to put it all together. And yeah. so I just went in, didn't let her know. Yeah. And I was talking to Sam Collins, president of, of the committee about it later. And he's like, mate, you probably had early rhabdo or something. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah. what she would have said. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. Telling you. But <laughs> I think it's interesting though, because look, if I, and <laughs> I, I often listen to stories of guys that have done the, you know, 250 miles, 200 miles, um, 24 hour races, and they all end up, most of them end up in hospital. Yeah. If I saw them in hospital, I'd be like, why did you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? But then I would do that to myself as well. Um, because I think it's it's different when you're you're in the position where you're, you've put so much effort into doing this race and everything that you know you think doesn't apply to you. <laughs> and yeah. And I, I, not that it doesn't apply to you, but more that it's irrelevant right now until it's not. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of separation. I don't think – not, I'm not thinking about rhabdo when I'm running. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good. All right, uh, listen to question while we're on it. Listen to mm. question. Yep, ready for it. Um, Sam Collins, mate of yours, president of the Lonely Mountain. Yeah. Uh, he wants to know, seeing as we're talking about it, have you got another red hot crack at the UTA 50 in you? Uh, <laughs> or are you uh, going more after the smaller not-for-profits like LMU henceforth? What, have we got another LMU 50? Uh, sorry, UTA 50. Mm. I got so much trauma from UCF 15. I've had so many bad races there. I, I don't know if I'm mentally ready to go back to UCF 15. I think I've developed some good strategies to work around the things that have happened to me when I have had bad races because they've often come down to the same thing. And I don't think it was the fact that I went too hard too early. I, I really don't think it was an issue of pace. Um, I think it was it was it was a nutrition issue. And I think I've hopefully made some headway in that department and think I'd probably be able to approach it, but I don't want to jinx it. And 
I, I don't know if I'm mentally ready for another UTA 50. I think I might, I think I'll find some other races. <laughs> uh, we'll get you back there one day. I think you got to, I think you've been so close. I remember listening to your uh, episode 91 where like you're a racer. You said, I don't care about the time, but oh yeah, you're just racing. So at one minute, whoever's in front of you, Courtney or so, I think was in front of you just racing with him. So yeah. he drops back, someone else comes up. So if, you know, in the end, you're just going to race. You're always going to race. Yeah. And if you can get that nutrition sorted, hopefully it, you know, holds together for those last three codes this time. Yeah. 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 Uh, another listener question. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Ready. Chris Pooley. Uh, how many tidy teddies did you consume throughout the 104K? <laughs> See, I think this is a classic Chris question. <laughs> given that I, given that that man had a tally of how much he had at Tarawira, <laughs> I, I don't, I <laughs> no, um, I think I went through five packets. I, I have to look at the serving suggestions and how many teddies per packet. But I was, I was chowing down the teddies. But I think I was getting really dry towards the end of it because. And and they just don't they sit they sit really well during the early stages of the race and I'm able to hydrate and then later on in the day when it's sort of cooler but during the mid parts of the day I wasn't able to take many on uh, but I think I did like five or six packets so but there's nothing on a whole pizza two watermelons you know six apples ten bananas and two burritos that that Chris did during Tarawira. <laughs> it's not even it's close. <laughs> <laughs> I am guts coolie. Yeah. Yeah, no, no one can beat him in a in a beer mile because I've never seen anyone have shotgun beers <laughs> as cool. quickly as he could. And yeah, I, it wasn't the running part that he was doing well. It was it was the drinking. I remember I remember said beer mile, and I think you came with um, mid strength Northerns that are only about two hundred ninety five mils. <laughs> Warm as well. They were warm. So I was I definitely cheated, but I still didn't beat him. So, <laughs> I yeah. think you went home with two of them in your pack. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Look, just a couple more, mate. You've been really good with your time. Um, obviously a massive highlight from the spectator point of view this year was being able to bring you home on the drone. Mm. Um and did you did you have any idea that we were watching your last six Ks live on a big screen, or were you just completely in that Mitchell's way descent all on your own? I I think I saw the drone, but I didn't know to what degree. Maybe it was just taking photos. Not really sure. Um, Sam didn't give it away at the top either, but I think I mean I really wanted to get as close as I could to not only my time from last year but I was also trying to get sub 11 and then just found a really good pace coming down Mitchell's and found the same thing last year as well was that as soon as the legs started opening up and rolling a bit that it was it became easier and Mitchell's is just such a nice descent as well because you come off power line and it's steep but then the rest of it's runnable and it's a really nice gradient and it's a great road to run down particularly when it's you know sunset and things like that it's a bit cooler there's not too much blazing sun um but i think it was an element of sam and then seeing the drone as well but i had a chat to i mean i've watched the footage as well and it's just it's phenomenal and it's such a good idea to have and it's really nice that people can see 
at the finish as well, how you're tracking, how you're looking. And it's just a nice uh, thing to be able to offer. But I had a chat to Rob who is at Summit Gear and he was saying that, you know, he watched the footage and really enjoyed the drone. And I think there was a lot of support for the drone. So, yeah, yeah, I think that footage was a real winner. Great. We've got big plans for next year. I won't let them out now, but we're hoping to go bigger and better for next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the technology available, it's, it's, it's so to be able to watch the the closing moments of the field like that. And, and those, those shots were amazing. So I guess the other real thrill for us this year was that we had Anna Pillinger finish in daylight as well. The first ever female finisher, um, I'm not sure. We, I'm not sure you were there when she actually finished. Can you? Were you actually? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got to see the drone as a spectator as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took a little bit to find her, probably because she was running too quick. But then, <laughs> but then, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's also nice because by the time you're coming around, coming out of the trees, and you hear everyone clapping, I thought someone else. I thought they were check clapping for someone else initially but then realised that that's what had happened. And I think to get brought home, like, that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, we plan to keep doing it. That's exciting. Hey, um, can you just give us a sense of, um, I mean, you've talked, you've done uh, a lot about how you train on a previous episode, so I don't really want to go into that, but I reckon a lot of people battle to get their taper right. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about 104K, you said you managed to get in under 11 hours, which is just extraordinary on that course. Um how what's your taper look like coming in to make sure you give yourself every chance to still run a three minute 40 104th k <laughs> um i mean i've i wouldn't want to say that i've I've got my taper down to a fine art but i definitely I, I usually have quite a good feel of particularly going into last week of how i'm feeling if i'm feeling nice and fresh um, if I'm feeling still heavy in the legs from the training period that's come into it. And if I am, I often just dial it back a little bit further. So if I've got, um, you know, like a 40 minute run, I might just do 20 um, because the last week is really just about keeping the legs ticking over. I find that my taper usually starts about three weeks out, particularly for something like 104 um, for something that's a bit shorter might be two weeks, but usually like biggest run would be sort of three to four weeks out. And then from usually from three weeks, doing some sessions still from that three week point, two week point, but definitely from two weeks out is starting to drop things, just make things a bit sharper. But I think really paying attention to how you're feeling in that last week. Um, If you're feeling fresh, if you're sleeping well, um, eating well, just, and then just, just obviously like, you know, you keeping hydrated, eating lots of food as you can. Um, but I think it's really important to just check in with yourself during that last week and just see how you're actually feeling and see how the legs feel. And that's often with, you know, going out, doing a 20 minute jog and making sure that your legs are feeling nice and sprightly so that yeah. you can get, you're, you're obviously feeling ready um, and I find it's 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 a mental thing as well that by I mean for me anyway by the time I get to the end of a big block I'm really looking forward to a taper and then I find myself as you sort of get into that week 
you're getting really excited about the race and being able to run it and touch wood not getting sick because I know everyone struggles with getting sick in the last week. Um, but yeah, I find it's it's definitely a combination of things, but checking in with yourself, making sure that you're again, feeling nice and fresh and then just making sure that you're actually excited for the race as well. You, you really want to feel good, feel ready um, and feel motivated to actually run it. So your Strava profile would say that your heavier weeks are probably, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe say 120 Ks would be a, a bigger week for you in the middle of a block. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah that'd be fair. So let's say two weeks out, if you're really gunning for an A race, like the way you yeah. tackled Lonely Mountain this year, yeah. what's your mileage going to be back at two weeks out and when are you going to drop it to the week out? Um, I mean, the week of, I really, like, I think the week of this year, I did like, maybe 20k or something yeah. like that so the week of i did not much um i think primarily because i just felt really flat coming into that week and took a couple of rest days and i think that's the thing as well is particularly in that last two weeks just not re- not being afraid to miss a session change a session talk to you if you if you've got a coach then talking to your coach about dropping the session down as well or changing it to something different and then it's really about just fine tuning those last two weeks in particular. I think for me, maybe like week two out was maybe like 70 K or something like that. Um, and usually dropping the long run down to something like an hour and a half, an hour. Um, and it's just easy. It's just ticking the legs over conversational pace. And then during that last week, it's, you know, 20 minutes with a couple of strides on the grass here and there. And then not really doing it, maybe doing a session on the Tuesday, but it'd be like maybe a couple of K repeats and just doing them nice and fast. But you really want to feel good during those as well. If you're not feeling good on your sort of last session leading into the race, you probably need a couple more rest days. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid of rest days in, in table nice. week. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I I still, yeah. I think it's still there. The evening before, you still just went and did a nice, easy 3K around town, I think. Is that normal for you? You just like to move. You probably had a car trip down from Tamworth and just thought, I'll just go yeah. for a job. Yeah. 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 Usually just stretch your legs out the day before, um, not doing too much stretching or foam rolling because sometimes you wake up feeling feeling worse than you did the night before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just honestly, it's just ticking the legs in uh, on that last week. Yeah. Thanks. So um, what's next for Gerald? Um, what are we now? We're coming up on three weeks since Lonely Mountain this weekend. Uh, what I'm assuming recoveries, you, you know, knowing you, you're probably feeling good and you're back at it and going forward again. What's next? Yeah. So, I mean, I I tend to wait after. <laughs> I, I, I'm not very, I'm not very not very regimented in that I tend to do a lot of things by feel when I'm running, <laughs> but um, often find that, you know, I'm, I often wait until I actually feel like running again. Um, and whether that's a week, whether that's two weeks, um, I've never really found myself to go longer than sort of two weeks without going, you know, I, I'm kind of itching for a bit of a run, even if it's just a slow run. And then it's just going as you, again, as you feel as well. So if 40, 40 minutes is too much, I drop it back. I'll do like 30 and just do a nice little easy run. Um, but I'm, I mean, I think I probably took a little bit longer this year to recover than I did last year and found probably 
two weeks, I reckon. Like I started jogging in the second week after, but it was really only light jogging. Um, but then this week I've actually felt like running, which has been really nice, but probably won't really start bringing sessions in until maybe next week, week after. Um, we're going to do Point to Pinnacle in Hobart as a bit of fun in November. And then Tauria. So actually, I mean, I, I was lucky enough. They they gave me an elite entry. I was like, great, sure. <laughs> I haven't run 100 mile before, um, but I'll take it. So, so yeah, that is your first but, miler? Yeah, yeah. So 100 mile debut at um, Tauria. I mean, we we really enjoyed the race last year. The atmosphere is fantastic. Um, Rotorua is like not too big, not too small. It's a great size place. Um and they're just, it's really nice network of trails around there. And for, for a race that's been, I guess, bought again um, by UTMB and the, the, I would say like the aspects that definitely come with corporate races, um, it's still very much got its roots. And I think that's really nice that it's been able to retain that, even though it's gone on to be such a world renowned race. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to doing it. So, mate, good luck. Go. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, people who can follow you on Strava, they can find you pretty easily. Um, and from memory, you're not a massive socials kind of guy. So, but I do know you're a Strava junkie. So, uh, they can hop on, follow you there, watch your training, and uh, we might follow you on the live tracker for Tarawira early yeah. next year. Sounds good. Get around it. And uh, Hannah, of course, off to UTMB, you said next year as well. Is that right? She's got a ticket for next year. Um, she wants to try and do one of the overseas races next year. Not sure which, but she's going to do Cozzy 100. So I'll be crewing for that, which is great. I actually love crewing. I don't. I didn't think I would. I didn't think I'd enjoy driving around in a car at like two in the morning and, you know, popping blisters and like playing random tunes. But it's fantastic. Crewing is, I yeah. If I need to retire from running, maybe I'll just take up crewing, not thoroughbred racing. So, <laughs> yeah. back to the quiz at the start, mate. Just cruise for other people. I'll be a it. professional Kevin DeWalter. So, <laughs> love it. Um, Gerald, thanks so much for your time again. Congratulations on taking out the Lonely Mountain 104. It was an absolute thrill to have you come and do that and do it so well. And thanks for all your support, too, of our little race out here. And hopefully, we'll see you out here again soon. Looking forward to coming back. Thanks for having me. Good on you, Gerald. Thanks, mate.